Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, where we are. We're watching live or actually watching the rerun of this episode or listening to the rerun of this episode on your favorite streaming platform. So, tell the queue for joining in for another social profiles. I'm Shaluk, and next to me is Diego. Diego, how are you, man? Very good. As you may have noticed, I'm actually after a long time drinking from the 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 mug we use in the appropriate yes, the actual, the actual social, social conference mark. Okay, yeah. I'm going a different route. I'm doing a happy new year galaxy celebration mark. Oh, you are prepared for December because yeah, it is the last day of November. We're entering the last month, the last stretch, now month number 12 of 2021. And I gotta say, it's been one hell of a year. And usually the last month is, you know, companies stop their work jobs around mid December to start preparing for holidays and the new years, etc. I'm um, not sure how it's going to go this year, but I think for us here at the social convos, before all that unknown happens, I think it is a good starting point to look at how we're going to do 2022. And I think that's going to be the main talking point of today, generally what we're up to in 22 as social convos, but also personally what we've got planned for ourselves, the trajectory. Usually it's, you know, January 1st, everyone has their new year's resolutions, blah, 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 you know, get fit, start that business, <laughs> whatever. But I want to ask you, Shanduk, what is your take on new year's resolutions and how has it changed over the years? Okay. So first of all, new year's resolution, I'm big into them. My wife, she's like, nah, it's not like something changed why should we change like who we are at the beginning of the year but for me for me personally it works quite well i don't know if it has to do with the iteration mindset that like you iterate every so i make a big thing out of it i even did a road to 30 road to 35 like when i turned 35 and i kind of celebrated going to my 35th birthday but for me the beginning of the year is kind of it's not necessarily a fresh start, but it gives me a perspective of what you wanted to do. And every new year, we kind of have Create Your Own. Create Your Own has been around for, I think, five years now. At every beginning of the year, during the first or second weekend of the month of the year, we basically have a personal development workshop, which is at a really extremely low price compared to other uh, events that we do, just to get people a little bit ready for for the new year and kind of give them the idea that they can create your own year in 2022 we're gonna expand on that concept so i'm looking forward to that but i think also for me for the past yeah this will be only the second time that i actually managed to think about the next year ahead of time because usually it's in january somewhere around january 5th Around January 5th is when I start to think about, okay, this is what I'm going to do this year. But last year, so this year, preparing for 2021, last year, 2020 was the first year in my life that I was able to prepare for the next year in December. And this is the first year in my life that I started preparing for the next year in November. Okay, hold up, hold up. So you mean 2020, if I got that correctly, at the end of 
at the start of 2020. You started the end, the end yeah, was so in December of 2020. I started preparing for 2021. That's when you gave me that call, right? Yeah. For doing yeah. Yeah, right, right. exactly. So that was the first time. And this year is the first time that I actually prepared for the next year in November or started thinking and started not noting down what I wanted to do in November. And the only reason for that is COVID. Is it good? usually December is my busiest month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it due to the lack of like other commitments or you know business commitments, personal commitments that it's, it's you have to see the first time? It's due ah, to okay. the first time. I mean, like usually around this time of the year. I'm in meetings with the local police and the local firemen and the local authorities to make sure that everybody that has a street party in December is actually registered and has the permits, the right permits. And the 31st of the of December that people are on the streets and that everybody has the right permits and that all the organizations that are organizing during December that the calendars, the city festa calendar is being brought out in the second week of December and that we're listing all the activities and we're working on the city festa app and the website and making sure there's Oh yeah, we don't have one of these, those days. We don't have that. Yeah. So okay. like for the, for the second time in my, in the past, you can say almost 10 years in December, I don't have that commitment to to City Festa or to the community to be at top of everything what's going to happen in December. On a personal level, how, how does that feel? Like, uh, is it like, do you feel like you're missing something or is it like new perspective of, hmm, what am I going to fill it with? Or is it a sense of relief or like you're missing something? It's, it's more, to be honest, I, I do miss it. It's, to be honest, I think what's the, for me, the break, I needed a break last year. Let's, let's mm. start with that. I needed the break. I was done and all. I was tired. So getting a break in December was kind of great. I actually talked about some people who kind of came to the same conclusion was like, and these are all people that for the past 10 years, they had like no sleep December. Like they organized parties that 10,000 people attend to. So from that perspective, definitely, I do want to do something this year and I do want to reach out to the government and give them some tips and some advice for how to approach it, especially with COVID, but especially with family as well. I do think having another year that we don't celebrate the end of the year for sure now, it, it won't work. People won't accept it. But at the same time, we can, we can bring back public events. So there has to be like some middle ground, like where a compromise, where we can't have big events, public events. We can't have like parties on the street, but we should be able to celebrate. Don't make it something that you're not allowed to celebrate. You're not allowed to get together with your family and those kind of things. But then the top level of the government is at all these parties and all these functions and after all their events while they tell the rest, like, yeah, you can't do anything. Don't do something like that. Just, just make it equal for everyone, give everyone the equal opportunity to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate Oruyari and do provide guidelines. Like I think one of the things is the most important thing is there shouldn't be any music allowed on the streets. So not, you should not be allowed to just 
put like a big boombox like in the middle of the street and like because that will attract a crowd. So as long as we can do like some kind of crowd control and it's in a closed environment, yeah, like Gregory says, we don't we don't feel like if if there's rules, there should be rules for everybody. Like it should be the same for everybody. Like no citizen of in, in Suriname should have uh, a privilege to rule compared to the others. But at the same time, and the funny thing is, the last thing I want to say about it before we segue back into the general conversation is back in the 80s, like, and of course, I, I've only seen it on pictures and heard stories. Back in the 80s, this was called soup on the stoop, like have, have your soup. The 31st of December, people would go to their favorite uh, restaurant or their favorite company and they would have like a soup and they would kind of celebrate the end of the year. And there was a pagara that was being shot. Like, bring back that tradition. Bring back the tradition of people. That sounds nice, having a soup. Yeah. 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 People closely connected to one, over one another, get, get back together and, and do something small. And that's, that's kind of the direction I'm heading. Of course, we still have to have the approval of the board of Sudifesta as well. So we still have to discuss this. We still have to have a, a written letter uh, from the board of Sudifesta, which can go to all the show organizers, that can go to all the companies that usually have their big celebrations, but also can go to the authorities. Because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to whether or not you need a permit to, to, to celebrate. And then the best thing would be not by avoiding getting permits, you can avoid kind of like preferable treatment. So not having any permits approved, I think is the best way to go. Leave the streets open. Most streets will be closed off. I mean, December's already busy enough when it comes to traffic. So I think that's a good starting point. And if you can go with that, I think it can grow further. And last, last thing, because I already said that was the last thing, but when I was studying, I did my uh, master's research in Ghent. And Ghent has something called the Gentsefeste, the Ghent, the Ghent's, the parties. And Gentsefeste is really like in Belgium and Ghent. It's like, if you see it and experience it, you're going to get like the yeah, Oruyari vibes. I think I've heard of You're going to get the Oruyari vibes. And for those 24, 48 hours, people just like, go. The streets are full, like, it's, it's fun. And then what happened was at a certain point, that tradition became so popular that it attracted so many people from other parts of Europe that the local community created their own version of it at a completely different date. And this is kind of something that I think it happened in Spain as well, where kind of this local holiday is taken over by, by tourists. And then the locals start something back for themselves because the first thing got too commercialized. So I think that's also a trend that you're going to see like, okay, the, the inner city is going to be for the tourists and the people that have nowhere to go and, and the locals party somewhere else, which was kind of already kind of slowly happening before COVID. But I think this kind of, kind of accelerated a little bit as well. So I do have to ask now, what's your Oruyari tradition? Like normally, what would you normally do on the 31st? So for me, I, I'm not like the, uh, the, you know, going to the, to downtown type of person. I actually done it once. I think it was 2015, 2016, maybe I did once had a nice spot there in Krasnopolsky, you know, balcony view, etc. 
and you see the crowds. It, it was nice for what it was, but isn't really my thing. So I was like, you know, check it off the bucket list. I can't say I've been there, I've done it. But usually it was either, you know, uh, staying at home with my family, just having uh, some good food and a nice drink. And if it wasn't that, it was either going to the interior actually, like off the grid because it's quite the opposite because uh, the city is crowded and you actually find, you know, this white sand of black water, a little creek that's very quiet, uh, peaceful. So I've been, done that a couple of times. Usually people say, you know, don't actually don't go, but for me, it, it has worked, you know, it, it's kind of the best time for me to go, you know, quiet, peaceful, and you disconnect from everyone. And then in the new year, you come back. So it was either that or. I would just describe Mufoyari for like people from, from outside of Syria. So basically if, if I had to translate it or give it a general description is people say at least the, the locals, like, you know, the, the, the bad, that the, there's always something bad happening at the end of the year to, to close the year off. So they say, don't uh, go far from your home or from your family, because if something happens, you know, the people, you won't be reachable because everyone's in the city at home. And I think that's generally how I describe it, but it's a local, I guess, superstition, so, let's call it. Yeah, it's a superstition. Yeah. I mean, I've done it a couple of times well, between Christmas and the end of the year goes on where else you are. I think it's, it's, of course, it's a certain superstition and some people live by it and we respect that. But I think Mofoyari is one of the things that if you believe in it, it's, I mean, yeah. it's extraordinary. It, it's like what you believe. Uh, so then we come into, you know, in your personal beliefs and that kind of gets actualized. But yeah. yeah. And just like Oriari, it's like similar to Oriari, which for people that don't know about Oriari, it's kind of, we're selling, sell instead of celebrating new year, we kind of celebrate the, the end of the year. So it's kind of for, for Oriari for us, it's like really letting all go of all our sorrows for one day of the year. And we look forward to the 31st of December to let go of our sorrows. And I do feel we need that, like as a community. So, so we have to celebrate Oriari, whether it's in another form or another format, it doesn't matter, but I do feel we should celebrate Oriari. So I think, I think that's a, a good starting point to kick off the show because we're going to talk about 2022. And I kind of kicked it off today with sending you an invite for the first, I think, 13 Tuesdays of half of the year. Gregory says, I'm going to get back to my studies. Uh, good to see you guys. I'll tend to replay. Okay. We look forward to that. As always, you can watch, uh, this replay back at, on YouTube, or you can listen to social confos on your favorite streaming uh, platform, whether that's Spotify, Deezer or something else or Apple podcast. Uh, Diego, what have you so far been looking forward to the most for next year? So honestly, I haven't been too, well, actually I'm lying there. I have <laughs> been, <laughs> you, you know, exactly what I've been looking for. Yeah. There are yeah. some complications. So I am still looking forward to VCon, the conference, but with all the travel restrictions and now yeah, had COVID as well and, you know, getting permission to get visas and everything is getting more difficult. So hopefully still got like six months to, uh, five, trip, six trip. months to 
figure it out. But that that is definitely for next year, one of the highlights that I am looking for. If it doesn't happen due to some circumstances, there's going to be other opportunities. But I am looking, especially in, you know, the, the, the NFT space, the Web3 space, I am looking for very much alternative. So if I had to rank it in short term, that's kind of like a May, so that'd be mid midterm. But for the short term, I, I've kind of, I am committing for at least the next two, three months playing with Twitch and Gods Unchained. I, I'm doing kind of a, shall we call it a social experiment with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Natural social experiment where I'll be, if, if you've seen my Twitch, I've been streaming almost daily, like uh, maybe four times a week. So I'm gonna, I'm almost at 50 followers now. So that makes you, you can get tw the Twitch affiliate. So I'm gonna try that and combining that with the Gods Unchained game on the blockchain, I kind of found uh, a pretty decent community with other streamers as well. And, you know. So it's really cool to see the streamers interact with each other and because the community is still so small, especially the streaming community, it is for me an opportunity to, you know, test the waters and the, the game is still in beta. So that child, you know, teenage dream of, of you know, becoming a gamer and getting paid for it. It's kind of interesting because you, you can buy and sell the cards. So that, that's an interesting dynamic to it. But even more, what's interesting, they're using Immutable X, the layer two platform on Ethereum. And I have reason to believe uh, it's highly probable that the books NFTs that Gary V, the books that we've ordered that he'll dropping, is going to drop on uh, Immutable X token trove. He has been teasing that platform. So having Gods Unchained and that being on that platform, it is a good case study experiment to get to know the space. But on top of that, what makes this more exciting is I'm relating this back to you, you with your, with the Hive blockchain and extending or expanding on that community. I actually found the Gods Unchained community, which is like very, even smaller on Hive and it's kind of ridiculous. I made my first post yes last week, I think Thursday or Friday, just to say, you know, I started with the game, earned so much. Like, I think I've been playing it for four weeks now, earned around like 25 gods tokens. That's around $150 for just playing something for fun. And even that post got upvoted by the community and it was my highest earned earnable post on Hive, which was, I think, 34 Hive. I don't know what that uh, equates to. So it's kind of compounding every section of, you know, game development and community. You're a so, meta, you're a meta streamer, uh, streamer, uh, Diego. I think, I think the, to, to make it full circle, the only thing that you haven't done yet is actually upload your streams to TrueSpeak. So. I am starting to make highlights now on, on uh, Twitch to save the highlights and I'll probably download them later. And it's, it's quite interesting to see this triple, I'd say quadruple stack of things that just happened within the span of a month and how the web is developing. So if, if we're talking about 
things to look forward to in 2022. That's one of the commitments I want to make is at least for the next two, three months, be committed to, you know, streaming almost daily, publishing content on Hive weekly about the recap and learning about the, the, the platform and how that will develop further, especially when other big projects like uh, Gary P get on it eventually, you know. So that's on the short term. And the other thing I pro I'm probably going to start in January is ITU, Impact Theory University. Um, so curious to see how that's going to unfold, but seeing the content and the community, how that's developed in the discord, etc. I think it's something very, I'm very much looking forward to. And especially because it's still very under the 10,000 crowd, it's still something you can, you know, that's not out of reach if, if you, uh, compared to if you join a community of a hundred thousand or some A-list university or whatever. Okay. So that's so, quite interesting. So what you like for, for people that are not familiar with impact theory and, and the, the university, like kind of in, in, in in easy to understand terms, what's, what's, what's it about? So it's kind of, if I had to describe it, so Impact Theory is a, com is a US based company and it's founded by Tom Bilyeu and he kind of has been releasing over the past five years, content on YouTube, content about, you know, making an impact, thinking about learning how to think in first principles and, you know, business decision-making and how he's been having interviews with highly top achievers in their fields, like uh, Tim Ferriss, Gary Vee, many people from ranging from business, nutrition, uh, relationship, and just having an impact on the world. So, and he kind of translated all that knowledge he gained into a curriculum and that kind of, of that, that was the foundation for Impact Theory University. So I expect to learn basically the, all the things that he gained and also his experience formed the curriculum into, and also a, a core community. So it, it's something around those lines. I, I can't really, okay, no, it's really good. I know, I know Tom through Adam Victory. I know it through Simon Sinek, e. like uh, the millennial question. I think that's one of the most underutilized videos, even though it has millions of views, it's still one of the underutilized videos. And I feel like everybody that's, especially in an educational space, but all space, but also a leadership space, people should watch that video to kind of, I, I, I think, I think you've uh, highlight emphasized something there, the education, it's kind of a non-traditional education. It is more like developing your, you know, people skills, your soft skills, your, in, your situational awareness skills. It's not about the, the hard knowledge, like science, et cetera. It, that there have been, you know, pseudoscience uh, research has been done, yeah. but it, it's really more about leveraging experience. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I, I think, see, from the funny thing is I, I look at it from a little bit from a different perspective. I think like a lot of like knowledgeable and like high level institutes have already signed, like seeing like, okay, in 10 years now from now, the emotional intelligence will be just as important as, as your IQ. And you have to leverage on how to do problem solving and those kind of things. But I think, I think what, what makes the content very strong is that it's more practical. It's more 
getting in-depth, not just staying like this report said that these are the top five skills that you're going to have to learn, but actually explaining those skills and why those skills are important. And I think, especially for a community developing country like Suriname, it's, it's quite interesting. If you could make that leap, like um, leap that Japan made with video, for instance, like in the early 2000s, even I think in the 90s already, Japan had already had mobile phones with a screen. Like you could actually see the other person. It was like way ahead of time. But when you think about it now, it's like, okay, that technology actually, now it makes sense. Now everybody does it. So if you can like do a kind of a leapfrog, which is also one of the popular terms that they use in, in academic papers, if you can leapfrog like a certain technology and take advantage, I think one of the biggest and most interesting ones is how certain African companies are kind of leapfrogging the mobile payments. Yeah, like, th that certain, is so underrated in Africa. Yeah, the solutions they come up with. I, I don't, I don't think I have it here, but I actually want to do a shout out to like a local company, which is uh, Mopay, the marketing bank. I actually got my my debit card, which is cool because this is this is the first debit card that's directly connected to your. Hey, look, we're already making promo. <laughs> What is the first, it's the first if, if card anyone directly, months watching, it, yeah, <laughs> or listening, but uh, it, it, it's, it's really, I mean, you have internet banking, which can kind of have the similar purpose, but you don't need to be online to use the Mopay debit card. So I think that's, that's a very interesting, interesting technology. And I think we are under, not only underutilizing, but underestimating the importance of how mobile payments will play a role. In a country which has a population of half a million, but actually has over a million active phones. So, I mean, that's, that's already giving you a perception to like, instead of trying to get people behind a computer, like just let them learn how to use their phone. And then things like security are going to come up. How do you, how are you responsible? And I think that's also one of the things that worries me the most about Web 3.0 is the ownership part. I think. People are a little bit as underestimating the importance of the ownership part as well. And I underestimating the responsibility that comes with it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's, uh, for me as well. I'm, I'm also looking at when I want to do the impact theory university. I'm going to actually start off with Chris Ducker. Uh, Chris Ducker is a speaker and writer that I look up to a lot. And he's one of the people that really changed the game from a surface perspective as in building your own brand, but also being able to outsource certain aspects of basically the virtual assistance space. He's really been groundbreaking in that. He kind of moved away. He's British. He moved to Saudi East Asia. And he kind of operates his business fully from there. And his, his clientele is kind of the world, but he operates from uh, kind of, you can say a low cost country. So that's something that, that, that really has my interest. Oh, is that Chris Ducker you said? Yeah, Chris Ducker. Oh, okay. No, no that's good. I, I got uh, mixed up with Peter Drucker from no, no, no. Impact. He's Impact. actually, I think he might be, a, has been a student. I'm quickly gone. Yeah, because that is actually on my to read list now. So probably if I yeah. not don't finish it by the end of this year, that's one of the first books I'm gonna read next year. Um The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. So 
that's one thing I could add to the list of 2022 for things to look forward to in the early stages, so, at least. So Chris Docker is kind of the, the ground bigger when it comes to virtual freedom, like saying like, you can live anywhere in the world and still have business anywhere in the world as well. And he's kind of the living proof that he doesn't have to live in a Western country to get the deals and the gigs in that he needs to like be considered successful. And I think that's a very, very big, big stepping stone. And okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that actually. So, uh, JRK says it's old school thinking. Japan is still mainly a money in the hand country and locally still not a lot of people who could have a proper smartphone, let alone experience and knowledge. But I believe they're slowly getting there. Okay. I was kind of looking at from a video perspective. I actually didn't know that, that you just mentioned that. And quickly getting back to Chris, Chris Docker. I think what's interesting is he's creating the, the web. He has created the, the revolutionary part of web 2.0. But if you combine his, his, his theory and combine all the things that you can learn from him with web 3.0, it becomes even stronger. Yeah. They already kind of made that infrastructure that's there for web 2.0. So basically you're getting every, like all the geeks and all the nerds and everybody that's kind of geek techie who's like into the web 3.0 space, they kind of know that space, but then you can also get in like the part of the web 2.0 people that kind of, they're not familiar with how web 3.0 works. And if you can, in a web 2.0 way, explain how web 3.0 works, I think that's, that's gold right there. And I want to be in that space, but not specifically for the money, but as a stepping stone to find a solution for actually communities. And I think the reason why I find it so interesting is I've been watching the, the, the Spanish community, especially Venezuela and the Philippine community on Hive and, I, and the Nigerian community. And I'm damn, I'm very, very impressed. I have to be honest. It, it's actually quite. I won't call it surprising anymore. It's quite interesting to see that the communities that thrive, that really thrive on these web-free platforms are the communities from countries where it's kind of, you know, generally not considered going so great if, if you look at the average and people are actually making living, a living uh, off of these platforms. So it does br bridge the gap to, you know, that, that. I, I won't call it the wealth gap yet, but you know, the, the reasonable living gap to be able to afford. I think I remember I was on a Twitch stream and you were talking about, you know, the wax blockchain, etc. And there was a family from Indonesia and an artist from Indonesia that dropped a track, a music track as an NFT on wax and kind of like 500 editions got sold out and he was able to feed his family for months, just, you know having sold that as an NFT. So it's quite interesting to see where I mean, people, from where people are utilizing all this. It has to provide value. I think that's the thing that's being underestimated. Of course, a lot of crappy products, like we get to see memes that go viral. We get to see like crappy, crappy NFT projects that kind of make millions. Well. But that's very short-term thinking. I think in the end, it's about value. Can you perform value? I think Devin just jumped in. Devin mentioned something like, what's the, 
what's the biggest ROI you can get from an NFT. And I think we can get into a situation where people all over the world are funding homes and schools in developing countries that need it most. And I think what's interesting in this space is that the whales on these blockchains often, often help out people from, from developing countries. Like they really feel like, okay, it's part of our, our goal to get people that need it most to get them rewarded for the effort that they put in. And I think that's really interesting because I feel like that's a little bit more than, than usual that they actually go to the extent that they really want to help. And I think that's really cool. So I'm looking at, at a certain point, we're going to look at NFT projects that kind of have like an NFT with a, which comes with storytelling and like, actually these are going to be projects. And this is, this is where I'm like kind of my social side kind of connects with my entrepreneurial side. Whereas I'm right now thinking of projects and NFT projects, which are kind of like the web 3.0 forms of crowdfunding, but not for business for a business idea, but yeah, for our social, yeah, for social aspect. And I do think, especially if you look at the whales, they're still just regular, regular people. And this is a way for them to offset kind of their influence and wealth and pay it forward. I think because a lot of. I, I won't say a lot, but many people have in the past, like five, six years in the crypto space have gone from, you know, middle income, low income average, just being early to making tens, hundreds, or even millions of thousands of dollars in net worth over these past five years. And having had that opportunity, it's, I, I see it in many, if you look at crypto Twitter, a lot of them kind of pay it forward to others. like. You know, it has become kind of a cult movement. Everyone putting the hashtag whack me, we're all going to make it and lifting each other up. So I think for, for the short term, that's kind of what people are trying to do to get more people onboarded in the space. And the faster it gets adopted, the more people can benefit from it either way. So yeah, I, I do see the possibilities of it being a crowdfunded. Of course, there are going to be a lot of people trying to take advantage of the system as well, trying to rock pull you, rock pull being, you know, starting a project. And then as the project ends, everyone fund it, they just disappear, destroy the website or something and, or, or just put a meme and it just disappear with everything. So that, that's kind of the, where the danger is, but that's where, you know, innovation and it's, it's the wild west. That's where innovation happens. What I've put in an interesting thing. I met a guy on Twitter, he makes NFTs to help his parents pay up medical debts and now he's on his second drum. And he talks about uh, big problems in your demons and administration. I think we have a long way to go. For me, I'm personally waiting for the, the bubble to kind of, not necessarily burst, but first, I think we still need to see our first real NFT sent back. Oh, kind of oh yeah, get, I want to see blood. Get a valuation, get a valuation of where we're at because I mean, we've seen that with, with, with the original web, but what, what if you, if you call it that, that was kind of the dot com bubble where kind of everybody was getting like these uh, domains and like hunting these domains to, to get the more value. 
Speaking of the maids, speaking of the maids, we've kind of been debate hunting us. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's the plug. I was putting that plug in. Actually, I was definitely putting that plug in to talk about or to be on. But like, it was getting to certain insane, well, insane rates. And I'm big on research. And I might not, I should not use the words research, but I'm very big on, I used to hate history. But now I'm kind of big on internet history. And I think one of the most interesting stories is how Yahoo kind of lost its internet dominance. Like, it's a very interesting thing. Yahoo was kind of the first, one of the first main big search engine. They kind of had it all. They were like on top of the world. And we're looking at Facebook or Meta and how they tried to kind of stay on top of everything. And Yahoo kind of like most people don't know how Mark Cuban became so wealthy. Like what was the big, the big jump for Mark Cuban? And the big jump for Mark Cuban was broadcast.com. Like if you think how much money Yahoo spent to purchase broadcast.com from Mark Cuban. So much that he could buy the freaking whole Dallas Mavericks and still have enough money to, to do other side projects, buy other stuff. And if you look at where the Dallas Mavericks are now with an NBA title, and you look at where broadcast.com is, that Yahoo completely yanked off the air. I mean, like, it's like how much of a, it's like one of the big what ifs. The big what ifs. That, that never happened. <laughs> if that never happened. I think there was one. And the second one was GeoCities. I mean, GeoCities was, GeoCities was supposed to be the beginning of web 2.0. GeoCities was kind of like the beginning of Predster, the beginning of, of, of Facebook, the beginning of all platforms, 40 peeps, for instance, if, if you're like over 35 or over 30, at least you might've had a 40 peeps page. Well, kind of GeoCities was going into that direction of everybody having their own space, but then WordPress would have been a much better investment for Yahoo to make than uh, GeoCities because GeoCities was also a billion dollar project, which completely backfired on them. Those two projects, like at the height of Yahoo, kind of destroyed their pathway. And Google kind of, they just came in in the late nineties, kind of took everything by the start. So it's, it's kind of a, an interesting narrative to see like how things play out and how the wrong mergers and acquisitions can kind of like completely. Uh, if, if you compare, before we go to that, that domain talk, we, we just uh, highlighted, if you compare Yahoo, Google, you know, the, the web 1.0 uh, era around the 2000, how some of the biggest kind of lost their position, if you look at how Nokia, for example, lost its dominance in the smartphone or in the, you know, mobile industry. If you look at how, well, what a lot of companies like HTC disappeared from the grid, a lot of companies that were like leading in their, you know, their niche, their industry kind of got dethroned within a few years, within less than a decade, five to 10 years, and kind of totally shifted. If you look at that era and this era now, as we are shifting to Web 3.0, do you think companies like Facebook, Google, or something similar are too big uh, for that to happen? Or oh, definitely not. How do you feel? Definitely not. 
Well, definitely. So, so I, I want to share something with you because I feel like there's too much involvement of Microsoft in Facebook to ever pull it out. So I think, I think, and it all starts with IBM. I think if you know a little bit about IBM, how kind of they originally started and what they are now, they're a completely different company that they were. Like yeah, they pivoted completely. They were the leading, leading in effort for computers. Yeah, they were the leading company in everything. And they completely had to pivot because they lost the, the race in certain aspects, but they're still around. They're still big. So IBM is a good example of like how companies, even though their their main core product that everybody knows it from, even though if that success dies down, they find a way. I, I'm, I'm seeing Facebook or Meta. We're just kind of called Facebook. We don't care. We're just kind of talking, calling your company Facebook. They're going to be around like forever. It's the same like Microsoft. So that's, that's where it becomes interesting because Bill Gates made sure that whatever happened, Microsoft will still be used by a lot of people. Kind of Internet Explorer kind of lost it completely. Like they lost the battle completely, but Microsoft is still around. So. They, man they managed to at least innovate enough that was necessary. But I think the operating system works well enough for people to be like, yeah, we don't need something else. Like you have people that are like on iOS now and they're like, okay, this is much different. Yeah, it's kind of ingrained in your daily routine yeah. now. It's, you, you can't so, just. So I do feel like for me, for instance, yeah, I can't, I can't go back to working on a computer. I just can't. I think once you've had a MacBook and you've played with the touchpad of a MacBook, any other models kind of comes like, huh. It's, and, and I think those are the innovations that really, that really make a difference. Like people don't understand like how such a small thing can, can really bring a difference. And I think that's also the underestimation of iPhone. That's what happened with Nokia. You know, like Nokia had kind of like one big thing. It was undestructible. Und and the second big thing, uh, they had snake, but like the snake era has long, long passed because there are now so many mobile games that something like that, kind of like that flagship play game that everybody plays, it's almost going to become like best case scenario for Nokia is that, uh, snake kind of becomes what Tetris is now, that you have the world classic Tetris championships, and that you get like this insane kind of group that completely supports and still buys Nokia's just to be able to play their game and to be the highest score and become world champion. But that's such a small niche. Like the main audience, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, the, the mobile phone market, same with Motorola. Motorola completely shifted now to like corporate hardware and, you know, antennas and stuff. Like, yeah. So you, you have to start, yeah, you have to start making decisions. And another, like, it's funny, like Google, it's almost that people feel like they got lucky, but another big break for Google was YouTube. Yes. Like Google, Google acquiring YouTube was like one of the best deals they could have ever been because without YouTube, they were, were completely lost as well. The game was over. Facebook had had the internet. If if Google didn't acquire YouTube, Facebook would have had the internet, except for China. And I think that's that's where where 
I think Google really tried too hard to integrate YouTube with the rest of the Google interface, which backfired in so many ways. I think they find a proper mix now, but to think that Google shut down Orkut to make a power play with Google Plus and YouTube and completely backfired. And they kind of changed everything all the way. So Orkut, Orkut is like a platform. It used to be a social platform from Google, which was built by a guy named Orkut. That was his actual name. And they built a social platform with that. And it was the biggest platform in Brazil, in India, I think 10 years ago. 10 years ago, the biggest platform in, in Brazil and India was actually Orkut. And then it was kind of this cult that everybody in that country was just on that platform. And if you wanted to connect with others outside that country, you probably go to Facebook, but you were on Orkut. And then they just took it to the graveyard, to the Google graveyard, which is it's just insane thinking about it. But that's the Google, that's the Google model. Like we don't care if, if so many people, millions of people use it, we just kill it down. And, because they, and, and that's actually, I think that's required as well. They're not afraid. If, if you look at, yeah, Google is a billion, I think trillion dollar company already at this point. But if you look at these big companies, they are not afraid to invest in iterating, trying things. If you look at the list of projects that Google has killed, I was an avid user of Google Reader, you know, RSS feeds for articles, etc. They killed them. I Google. Do you know I Google? Oh my God. I Google was the most powerful starting place on the internet. It was just imagine, no, but seriously, just imagine if iGoogle was still around and all your socials would be on your iGoogle and then on another account you would all your NFT projects. I mean, it was perfect. It was perfect. There was really no reason to kill that off. Well, we, we don't know that at that time with the researchers probably, but yeah, so some decisions may seem questionable, but uh, the point I was trying to make was they have killed tried so many things, failed at so many things. And I think that is something that more companies, even if you have limited resources should try and not, you know, stick with your status quo surface or product that you've been giving for the last, what, decade and pivot or, you know, iterate on things and try things out because at the end of the day, the world changes and you need to be flexible enough for to still matter in the community you're in. It doesn't quite matter which industry actually. Yeah, but I think that's, that's, I always want to say what we're taking. Like having like one cash cow and kind of depending fully on that, and like waiting until that cash cow just completely dries down and then they're stuck with a cow that doesn't produce and complain that please about it. So they complain that they have police or the problem. You know, so like, I think that's a very, 20th century kind of debacle where kind of like, it's like, this is the money maker of the company. So we're going to put everything into that. And that's how it is. And they get yeah, to the, everything. The, this is the time, especially yeah. the world kind of, crisis, especially here. It's, it is prime yeah. time to learn and iterate in, in, in this crisis. And that's why my 2020, it's kind of mainly 2022 
I'm, I'm not in the past anymore. That's why my 2022 is going to be at least the first half mainly focused on education, learning about new spaces, learning uh, new skills. So it's, it's very focused on that instead of, you know, having the normal business as usual. So, yeah. So here's an interesting thing. I actually also going back to traditional social media. So you, you spoke about a, a social experiment and I did a social experiment in, in, in 2020 actually, much less this year, but especially in 2020, I did a social experiment with TreeSpeak and YouTube. Whereas in a normal circumstance, I would build YouTube and I would be building YouTube and I decided instead of posting all those videos on YouTube. I'm going to post those, all those videos on TreeSpeak. And I posted a hundred videos in a year on TreeSpeak. And the spinoff from that is like, so basically the spinoff of 2020 is the reason why I reached my 2021 goal with one month to go. So that's a very, very interesting dynamic. But now for me, there was the kind of see if it could work so the, the experiment worked from a monetary perspective but now what i want to do is i also want to build the audience on web 3.0 because there's a difference of earning money on web 3.0 and building an audience on web 3.0 could you elaborate a bit what happened last week, especially on, on that, what you're talking about, so people have a better reference on that social experiments with the videos? Okay. We're talking about okay. hashtag. So, no, we're, we're talking about crypto in general, but also like, like your goal. So beginning of the year, I set a goal for myself, which was 10,000. I didn't specify the goal. I didn't say whether it was 10,000. Um, followers on Facebook or 10,000 followers on Twitter or 10,000 connections on LinkedIn or 10,000. And the reason I didn't specify because I didn't want to go for a certain goal, which had no other value than just say, I've reached 10,000. Like, because going for like 10,000 LinkedIn connections, I could go on LinkedIn and connect with a hundred people every week. And I would have 10,000 connections at the end of, at the end of the year, just because if I connect with a hundred people every week, automatically I will get a hundred requests as well on LinkedIn and I could just connect all over the place. And then I would have 10,000 connections on LinkedIn. Woo amazing. And then what, what does that achieve? Nothing because it's just 10,000 connections. So I didn't want to like get to that specific number, but I do wanted to know what it would take to get to that process. Now doing it all over the board was too much. So I figured let's just at least get it for one. So at least get a thousand followers on Facebook, a thousand followers on Twitter, a thousand followers on LinkedIn or YouTube subscribers or TikTok or Instagram. And, but also like monetarily. Like, could I financially, could I be able to save $10,000 or 10,000 euros on my bank account? Would I be able to do that within a year? 
Now, would I be able to have 10,000 Hive followers on Hive? Or would I be able to have 10,000, uh, a portfolio, crypto portfolio worth at least $10,000. So I think that's what the idea at the beginning of the year was. And I reached that goal or one of them I reached last week. And the reason I reached that one was because last year I posted over a hundred videos on TreeSpeak and the earnings from those hundred posts jumped a tenfold this year in value. And due to those earnings from last year, basically I've reached one of the goals, which was having over 10,000 US dollars worth of, of crypto and any kind of crypto. So combined to it. And I think that was interesting. And now we've done that. But now for me, the problem is when I look at my views on YouTube and when I look at my views, it doesn't correlate. <laughs> it doesn't correlate. I want to have the same views on TreeSpeak as I have on YouTube. So now I'm going to convince people who are still in the web 2.2 space to say like, listen, I don't care if you don't believe in blockchain. I don't care if you don't believe in web 3.0. I want you to fuel my videos on TreeSpeak. So I think that's, that's the next hurdle. That's the next step where I'm going to have to go and say like, okay, I'm going to actually have to post on LinkedIn and redirect people to TreeSpeak. They're going to be like, what is this link? And I'm going to say like, this is my YouTube. And they're going to be confused, but it also solves a problem that I've been struggling with the whole year. And the problem that I've been struggling with for the whole year, and now I finally found a solution, but I've struggled with this for five years, actually, but now it really came about. I have a Dutch audience, Dutch speaking audience, and I have an English speaking audience. A lot of people that are watching this recording, especially live, are people that would probably prefer that we spoke in Dutch. And the audience that speaks, yeah. some well, of them, definitely. Yeah. But definitely through Facebook. I think Twitch is different. I think YouTube is different. But especially through Facebook, a lot of people that are watching the episodes live, they will think like, yeah, why wouldn't you do it in, in Dutch? And then you with your Twitch stream, of course, attracting people that are more English, but also for myself, if I'd be able to make the connection and say like, Social conference is actually for an English speaking audience. And if you're from Suriname and you want to follow it, it's not, not a problem. But like your main audience is actually outside of Suriname because it's speak Dutch. I was going to have to combine that on my YouTube. So I would have videos in English on YouTube and then videos on Dutch on YouTube. And I'm like, nah. Yeah, it's a hot mess. <laughs> it's a hot mess. So I'm like, YouTube is Dutch, Tree Speak is English. Problem solved. That's it. Problem solved. I have two video platforms. One is for English content. One is for Dutch content. And I think that's soft. And then on YouTube, you can go like more to the personal stuff, like more sports, uh, more travel. And then the, the tree speak work will be more kind of the intellectual content, the international content. So kind of that's how it kind of ended up. So if I got that right, so 2022, the focus will be actually uh kind of reverse the social experiment you did in 2021 kind of leveraging that to get the web 2.0 audience on it right yeah so i, I want to because i feel we don't put in that's also one of the things that i think 2020 
2021 was really creating something new. And I think we kind of established that. Like, it was never about creating instant success. It was about creating something new. And I think we've created something new. And not just the show, but just in general, the opportunities that are coming in. These are all new opportunities that are going to guide us for the next 10 years. Like things that I've learned this year are going to guide me for the next 10 years. And I think that's, that's something that is really being underestimated, especially I underestimated it as well. And then 2022 is kind of bridging the gap between everything I've learned in the past and 10 years, years. And, and, and everywhere that I want to go to the next 10 years. Like one of the discussions on Hive was like understanding like how this can be earning on the web 2.0 can be like, it's basically your future. And like, I don't think people realize, I think people realize it, but they're still kind of in a denial phase, how the current system kind of everywhere in the world has completely destroyed any future for generations to come. Like the best example is that every year, a 13 or a 15 year old girl has to go and to speak to the work leaders saying like, guys, you can't say like, we're going to solve this in 2030, or we're going to work towards solving this in 2050. We have oh, to solve it now. We have to solve the problems of the world now. I like know exactly year. what you mean. And I don't want to go in that right now, but I know exactly what you mean. No, but no, but no, but, but that's the point. Like. And the reason I'm going and driving into this because people don't want to talk about people don't want to talk about the fact that if you're in a developing country and you're working for a company and the work the company that you work for has to has to do your pension like what you're going to receive at the end of your working days you're going to receive a small amount of money on a monthly basis like we're we're not acknowledging the fact that there are big companies in developing countries where when you kind of work for 30 years at that company, you're going to get such a small amount of money that for some people, it's not even worth it to go pick it up every month, but you just go once a year. Like it's complete devaluation of, of your local currency, even for people in dollars, it's, it's getting less, but can you imagine that if in dollars, it's getting less, it's worse for like developing countries. And that's kind of, you're working 30 years, hard labor. And at the end of the road, it's like, nice, thank you. And you're getting a small amount of money, but you can't have any luxuries. Whereas other people who've been in the, uh, in the system longer, who fall kind of loopholes in the system, they get to benefit from something that you don't get to benefit. It's just not fair. So if, if Web 3.0 can kind of solve this issue that for people that are working, willing to work hard in their 20s, 30s, 40s, that when they're 50, they have something for all the hard work they need put in. I mean, uh, that's for a game. No, definitely. I definitely see where you're coming from. And I think we can have like a whole rant on that. We've had smaller rants before on this, but it is something that we really need to drive home within a separate episode, I think, but yeah. But with that being said, let's, uh, let's close this episode off with that domain thing we flocked a bit earlier. Yeah. So I want to put a spotlight on you for a bit. 
So you got Jean-Luc Esser. Your whole brand is basically Jean-Luc.Esser, Jean-Luc Esser. You've got all the social media, Twitter, your website, LinkedIn, whole brand. And I think yesterday, today, we got you the first name, Jean-Luc, but something. It's my and I want to ask you. Jean-Luc. Yeah, I want to ask you, what does that mean or how does it feel for you? And how do you think it will evolve owning like your first name as a domain? Because I couldn't get Diego that whatever it was. There, there. No, I, I, I have <laughs> so to say, I feel though. like I got. I got and I, I'm surprised I, that Sean Luke wasn't naked. I, I, I'm surprised as well. You know why I'm the most surprised? I'm the most surprised because I feel like there's so many French people that are already in the NFT space that how could Sean Luke.NFT still be a fail? So that, that kind of blew my mind. Let's, let's be honest about that. And I think Sean Luke.Crypto was definitely something that I wasn't looking at. So I don't mind that everyone was taken, but I do feel like the showlink.nft, that's definitely something, especially thinking of the NFT space, that's something I did want to have. Uh, and uh, showlink.wallet, I mean, I'm still kind of like a little bit concerned. The reason I'm concerned is like the, the ownership thing is for me is from, I'm not a very big tech guy, so I'm not very big. I know the basics of online security, but if I would be really targeted, if a hacker really had it out for me, it, it wouldn't be fun, you know, because they, they probably, they can't really steal or remove anything, but I already had it with my website that if certain, if my website gets into certain things, there's small things that I realize that people try to, even if it's just a DDoS attack or something small. They're just going to test your security. Like, where are you at? Can I, can I just quickly test? And that's the one thing where I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm a small, I'm a small dog. I'm not even, a, I'm a middle, I'm not even a dolphin. Please leave me alone and, and go mess with somebody else. So from that perspective, I'm a little scared, but from the perspective of the opportunities, I love it. I mean, there's so many opportunities with this, especially the NFT, but also I think the most interesting thing to, to close off this ramble is that these domains you pay once and I had it with Yacht as well, which is the main reason I bought a Yacht. Uh, and I probably will buy another Yacht in the, in the future, but you pay a lifetime. And I think that's just such a fair game compared to all these domains where you have to pay every year. The owners, the sense of ownership. Yeah, but it's, it's weird, right? That, that the, the web 2.0 domains, they're kind of being rented to you. It's just kind of being rented to you. You don't actually own it. It's like, yeah, we're renting it to you. Can't take it back anytime. And I think the web 2.0 domains, so domains that. Apparently she has like complete ownership and it's yours. You just buy it once and it's yours. No, I, I really think it was awesome when I saw it. That's why I shared it immediately. And 
And I jumped in. I usually don't jump into things that you share. We were talking about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, overrated. Yeah. This was one of those deals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was one of those deals that I was like, yeah, okay, well, we're going to do this. And which is the funny thing, because for Black Friday, I didn't buy anything. Me so the question now to you is like, which domains? Did you get your domains that you wanted? I actually already had uh, NFT and Wallet. Like I got it like a month ago. So I, I didn't know about this deal. So I, I did try to take advantage. I, I did bought some fun domains to play with. We'll, we'll see what, if, if something comes out of it. I had a few friends in, in the Telegram. They, they had like 16 domains that they bought. <laughs> like, <laughs> so kind of domain farming, but it, it, it is quite interesting. I pulled the trigger today because gas fees were ridiculously low on Ethereum for the convos.eat domain. So oh, we, all, okay. we also Congrats. own convos.eat domain now. Congrats. And what else? Yeah, I, I already had my own name, uh, .eat. So that was kind of what gave me the ENS airdrop. So yeah, it, it's kind of really cool to have that sense of ownership and domain. And if we're talking about the web, it is kind of your identity. It's kind of your home address in the virtual world and having that, it's kind of like buying a house, like the street where you're going to live, where everything is pointed to. If you have, you know, post, uh, postal, if you have, you know, a delivery address, it's kind of like that. And that's kind of how I see it as well. So that's why I kind of diversified and invested uh, in domains as well. There has been emphasis, you know, in the dot com and going into web to, to take ownership of your name. So this is taking it to the next step. I think it's, it's a really interesting space. I just want to point out that Jager said he, he bought socks on Black Friday. So to close it, to close it off for, for our viewers is, and I think we could do, still do over out there if you want to. But uh, the question that we have for this week is what is the funniest thing that you bought on Black Friday? Ever? Yeah. I actually can't come up with anything. I barely do any shopping on Black Friday, it's either before or during the holidays. But yeah, I, I can come up with anything. But this year, I'd say one of my best investment. What has been on? One of my best investments this year was in NFT. And the NFT. Yeah, I pulled some funny things as well. On, on Black Friday, I've mostly bought useful stuff. I think the only thing that has, has not been useful is I don't even know where it is anymore. My headphones. I think my son dropped my headphones a little bit too often. So those don't work. My last year. Yeah, here's one funny thing. Japanese curriculum. Yeah. And I can attest, they, they taste really good. They taste good? Yeah. Okay. Well, of okay. course, so you can think, Jeff, but that speaks for itself. I think we can do uh, two over-unders each. Sure. Let's keep it very brief. No long explanations. Why don't you go first? You want me to ask you first? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start up easy. Play to earn. 
play to earn. It used to be heavily underrated and I'd say it, it's just underrated right now because more people are seeing the value in, in it, especially in the, with Web 3.0 getting coupled to it. So it is still very underrated, but not as much anymore. Yeah, I'd say underrated just to keep it simple. Okay, but since we talked about 2020 Oroya, they have to close it off. The interior of Suriname. <laughs> underrated over Heavily, heavily, heavily underrated. This is just heavily underrated. I think there's so many levels to always underrated. I'm going to give you the first level. I have a niece who has really traveled the world. She has seen like every part of the world, every continent, every country. Oh, I think she has seen over 150 countries. And she says one of the most remarkable things about Suriname in the interior is the sky. Like if you go to the interior of Suriname and you lie down on the floor at night and you watch the sky, it's got to be the most stars you've ever seen I, in your life. I can attest to that. And I have the photos to prove it. And I, <laughs> I think, I think there is like heavily, heavily, heavily underrated. Like the sky in the interior in Suriname at night is nothing can match that. So you start with that. Then you start with the fact that we're the most part of the forestist country in the world with 90% rain, 92% rainforest, which is like also makes it very at ease because it's quite warm and quite generous. But due to the forestation, it, it kind of helps that you don't feel like it's, it's overheated. Then you get to the water, like the Sulas and, and the different rivers. And that's, that's also something like nature suiting you that you could just sit down somewhere and you get a water massage for yourself and you just sit down. And there, there are so many levels to the interior of Surinam that are underestimated. Like one of the most beautiful things I've seen in my life, and this is really gotten so very crazy, but when you're on the, on the water, like you're on the river, the, the upper Sudanese river, and it has rain, and there's a very, very strong sun hitting, hitting the water and at the, well, what do you call it? The rocks? Yes, surface. Yeah. The surface. So the surface of the water, but especially the rocks. So when the rocks are wet and the sun hits, like hard sun hits the rock, there's this kind of smog that yeah. arises. And that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in Brahman. So these are really, really things. And these are just four things that come top of my head, but the interior of is completely, completely underrated. All right. Second one for you. T-shirts, t-shirts as merch. I'd say properly rated for this one. For me, at least. I'm not really a merch person, but I can see and appreciate the value, like the representation, like the status that it can give to people owning that and then it falls into the same segment again as ownership and owning a physical product and representing a brand or an, an idea you like. But for me, it's properly rated because 
I'm not that heavily into merch, but I like to keep it simple, like like minimal shopping, etc. So that's why I put it properly rated. Would you buy an NFT t-shirt? You mean like a virtual? Or no, like a... one to you. You could actually wear, like it would be sent to you. If you would pay, you have to pay 50 bucks. Probably not. In fact, theory, key t-shirt. Pro probably not. I assign more value to the digital flex than the physical flex. Interesting. Personally. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. If I had I to want to jump into this, yeah. If I uh, had to word it yeah. like that, if I, if I had to, you know, put a weight on a scale, I'd put more, you know, weight on the virtual than the physical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I do understand. It's like Jager says, like the NFT can be seen online by more people. I think I like the physical because I like to support, like locally, especially locally. But Dapper Labs works is working together now as a partnership, and it was released on Twitter today where they're working away with together with Infinite Objects, I think, is the company is called. So you can have your NBA Top Shot in like this nice, really nice frame, and then it just plays, and you just can put it on the wall. Your NFT plays and. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that yeah. people also did that a similar thing with yeah. artwork. Yeah, it, it looks really cool though. But uh, yeah, but the small one, the small one is one ninety nine, and like the big one is like three ninety nine, and like the most expensive and the top shot that I have is like three sixty. So like I'm gonna create three ninety nine to have a three sixty dollar moment in a three ninety nine dollar frame. I think. Kind of doesn't make sense yet. So either I'm going to wait till it's less expensive or I've got to find a cheaper kind of display that I can put a USB in and I displays my NBA top shot. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that yet. Jill just got us at the end. Hey, Jill, uh, welcome to our end stream. But since she, she jumped in, I'm going to ask you the last one here. Curacao, the island, overrated or underrated? Wow, you have to put in the plug. I love it. I love it. So we're gonna go definitely gonna go with underrated. And underrated right now, as in a location that you can go to that you're out a lot on the beach. I think beach locations are really, really underrated at the moment, especially due to COVID. I do believe chances of getting COVID are much, much, much less in on a beach with the sun. Then they are like cramped in like a, a air conditioned area with uh, less quality ventilation. So I think from that perspective, uh, underrated for sure now because of the shared history and the connection to the Netherlands. We have kind of this interesting culture, which is really, I really want to see that for myself. We have kind of this US culture. We're very, very US based. We're very westernized. Yeah, like US, US westernized. US based, not even westernized, US based westernized. Because all of the movies, we don't have like, this is one thing that I always tell people, people in Europe, like especially Germans, like 
in Germany, all the movies are dubbed, right? It's not just subtitled. In, in the Netherlands, all the movies are subtitled and some of the movies are dubbed in Dutch. But in, in Germany, all the movies are dubbed in, in German. So, and we don't have the money or the industry to dub videos in Dutch. And we certainly don't have the money to do subtitles either. So basically in Suriname, if you're big on movies, you learn English quite, quite quickly. So we kind of tend to have a lot of people that are interested in going on vacation in the U.S., which kind of is getting harder every year, I guess, for people to get a visa to go to the, to the U.S. But I think what's underrated is that Curacao is, it's the giant history with Suriname for me personally, as well as a Caribbean country, which means I can get it easier with a visa. And there are also certain things that are different. Like for instance, in Suriname, we don't have white beaches. I want to go to a white beach and I want to lay down on a white beach and I want to go swimming and be able to see my hands. And also the pictures are going to be quite nice. And then there are a couple of things that I really want to try. One of the things is uh, in the package, because we went up, we went out to pick out the package from Curacao. There were these Curacao cheese balls. You know, they look a lot like bitter ball, but they are with cheese filled. Oh my God, those are delicious. Yes. So I do want to check out the food. I do want to check out the culture. There are a lot of bridges. So that's fun. I'm not looking forward to going down from a bridge, but most likely it, it's still on my bucket list, so I have to do it. So I think there will be a lot of fun things. And one of the things that I really want to learn a little bit more as well, which is more from the sports background, I do want to meet or learn a little bit more about the national team of Curaçao, because they've transitioned similar to Suriname. They were before Suriname. So they're further along in the process of getting players who have like roots, uh, roots from Curaçao to allow them to play uh, for the national team. And that's something that Suriname has done as well. So I do really want to learn how their process went and how they are uh, trying to get into the World Cup as well, uh, just like we are and how they did that process. So those are the things that I'm really looking forward to. Awesome. Uh, looking forward to the content that's going to uh, come out of that. So I'm not sure if you've As you commit mentioned, I, I'm not sure you've mentioned to the audience because next week we will have Confluence 48. But I think Confluence 49 will be uh, three weeks from now. Oh, we already have someone booked for 14. We have somebody booked for 14. Yes. Wow. Okay. We'll talk about this in the uh, after yeah. show, but what is the after show? Yeah. Most likely there, there will be no, there will be no convos on the 14th. Jill is laughing in the background, but we will have a 20, a 20 a show on the 21st and a show on the 28th, I guess. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll arrange it. But yeah, okay. this was a good episode to check in on what we're going to do in 2022. 
So to recap real quick, for me, the focus is going to be really on learning and education and, you know, trying out new stuff. And I guess for you, it's going to be more like the, the research research experiencing web 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. Reaching web 2.0. I think that's, that's really. Awesome. All right, guys, this was it for social convos 47. We will hit episode 50 at the end of the year. And we would like to thank you guys for tuning in weekly as always. And we look forward to the start of 2022 as well. We will assume you. With that being said, roll us out. This was social convos. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.